Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone who has come to worship you today. As we gather here today, let us be reminded of your goodness and greatness. Thank you for the blessings in our lives. Let us come here today with repentant hearts so we may be revived in you. I pray for our brothers and sisters who need healing physically and mentally. Let us be reminded of your love and care again. We thank you for providing help and support from those around us. Assist us in letting go of our burdens and worries so we may rely on you for our needs as you are the only one who can make us full. Let us overcome all the difficulties we faced this past week and we thank you for facing them together with us. I lift up Pastor Ya in today's message. May you open our hearts and minds and receive your teaching today. Bless his lips and tongue so that he may only speak your truth. We pray that your word bring comfort and rest when needed. And Lord, just bring our focus today on you and let us glorify you with today's great weather and our love today. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, welcome everyone to our worship service. So glad to be worshiping with all of us. A uh, happy daylight savings. It's crazy that we're ready in November. Um, and yeah, today is a really momentous day. Um, as we'll hear in the announcements, uh, we were praying earlier for Pastor Eddie's church launch. Uh, it's actually happening today, Encounter Covenant Church. Pastor Eddie has served at New Hope Downtown. And, um, you know, as through the discernment of the Spirit and through the support of the session at New Hope, uh, through the elders and pastors, uh, he is launching a church. Uh, and today is the, the first worship service, so we definitely want to pray for him as well. Um, and yeah, we're continuing on in our First Corinthians sermon series. And uh, I know it's been great, a great privilege. Over the past month, I've been getting to know some of the newcomers visitors. And thank you so much for joining us. I know for some of you, you've never been to church ever before. So being able to come to this, uh, I'm sure is a huge uh, step of boldness. So I definitely want to uh, express our appreciation towards you. So yeah, there may be some things that you're not familiar with. 1 Corinthians is a letter that uh, somebody named Paul wrote, and it's part of what we call the Bible. And in the Bible, although it was written, uh, at least this portion of the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, we don't look at it simply as uh, the words of a human writer, but we ultimately look at it as the words of God God inspired human writers to express his character, his will, so that it can actually be relevant to us today. So yeah, 1 Corinthians, if you've been part of the sermon series, it's all about the gospel. It's all about how does the gospel affect uh, and really, it really transforms our lives. And one of the questions that the Corinthians are asking Paul is, they're asking Paul, you know, he's kind of like their pastoral figure. He's saying, wait a minute, if the gospel is this, alter, this reality-altering a phenomenon, then what do I do with my life? Should I get married? Should I still be engaged with sexual uh, activity? And if you, uh, if you were with us last week, we talked about sexual immorality. So that's actually how 1 Corinthians chapter 7 begins. People are wondering, should I stay single? Should I get married? Should I do this? Should I do that? Because what does the gospel say about this? And it's interesting because we're not going to read the whole chapter. It's quite a lengthy chapter, but we will get through uh, bulks of it. Paul, his basic argument or the basic word of advice that he gives to everybody is it almost feels like he's saying the status quo. Because he's basically telling each person, just remain as you are. Whatever God has called you, just stay in that calling. 
And for some of us, we may read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and we may seem like, whoa, Paul, you're being really passive. Is the gospel life, is the Christian life all about just staying in the status quo? And that's the reason why the title of the sermon has a question mark. Because although Paul is telling people to remain as you are, there is actually a biblical principle behind that. And although this was written 2,000 years ago, like I mentioned, it's incredibly relevant for us today because for some of us, especially in our demographic, we are wondering the same type of big life, major life decisions. Should we get married? Should I engage in this type of relationship with this person? Or should I switch jobs? Should I test the job market? What vocational industry should I settle on? All these different types of questions are similar questions that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So it is incredibly relevant for us as well. Uh, I do want to direct our attention, uh, as you can kind of see at the top of the screen, is our Q&A. So uh, this message is going to be a little bit more on the practical side, but you may still have questions. You can text away these questions. Everything is anonymous. Uh, on the other hand, if you have any prayer requests, we would love to hear those prayer requests. Again, today is an international day of prayer, so the sermon is going to be cut a little short because I want to be able to spend more time uh, praying for the persecuted church and also uh, some of the things that are happening here at Uptown as well. So let's begin. So Paul first, uh, the first thing that he addresses is um, this idea of should we get married or should I divorce? Because one of the things that was happening 2,000 years ago, you have to recognize the gospel movement was spreading and people were getting converted. They were submitting to the lordship of Jesus, but their spouse wasn't. So for instance, maybe uh, I'm back in the, let's say I'm um, 2,000 years ago, I hear somebody like Apostle Paul preach the gospel, I'm convicted and I realize, yeah, this is the truth, I'm gonna submit to the Lordship of Jesus, but wait a minute, even though I submit to the Lordship of Jesus, my wife might not, my kids might not. And this was happening, really, it was pretty widespread. And if you think about it, 2,000 years ago, Christianity felt so new to people. Um, if you read 2,000 years ago, ancient writers who are not Christians, the way they write about Christians, it's very derogatory. They say these guys are super superstitious. These guys are so gullible. They're so skeptical. They're doing shady business. I think they're into cannibalism. I think they're into incest. Well, who are these people? These people are unruly, unlawful. They are anarchists. They don't belong in our society. So if you are a Christian, man, the whole society is against you and your spouse is most likely wondering, what did you get yourself into? It's almost like today, today's day and age. If one of you guys got converted to some other movement that nobody has ever heard of, you'll probably think this person's part of a cult. And your spouse may be scratching your head and be like, I don't know if I really want to do that with you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. People are saying, wait a minute, I'm submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm gonna accept the gospel, but what do I do with my spouse? Should I divorce him, divorce her? And Paul says, with questions like this, he gives three reasons. Over and over again, he says, remain as you are. Because there are three reasons that he offers and each of these reasons is one of the blessings that we receive from the gospel that really transforms the way we look at our situation. So let's take a look at this. This is uh, chapter seven, beginning with verse 12. So he says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, this is what I'm talking, talking about, but she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. 
Conversely, verse 13, if any woman has a husband who is unbeliever <coughs> and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So basically he's saying, yeah, it's tricky, it's messy. Um, it, it might be weird because you're a, be you're a believer, but your spouse is an unbeliever. But if your spouse agrees to live with you, then just, it's fine. Just stay together. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Now, some of us are wondering, what does this verse mean? Does this mean that if I'm Christian and my spouse isn't, that if my spouse is made holy because I'm Christian, does that mean my spouse is saved? It sounds a little ambiguous, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. But that's not what he's saying. But he is saying that by virtue of you living with your spouse, God can do something in your spouse's life. And he continues, we'll take a look at this. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, your children, they're also holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. So Paul is saying, but if your unbelieving spouse, they can't handle it. They think you're part of a cult. They think you're a whack job. Then if, they, if he wants a divorce, then you have to respect his or her decision. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And here is what I really want to drive home as far as the biblical principle. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And really, the first point that Paul offers, which is really a blessing of the gospel, is for those who submit to the lordship of Jesus, for those who submit to the gospel truth. Do you know what happens? I mean, there are so many blessings, but one of the blessings is God is going to work in your life in ways that are beyond your imagination. He's going to work in your life in ways that go beyond your expectation, your own conniving, your own planning. What Paul is saying is, as you are submitting to the gospel of Jesus, do you know that maybe he might save your spouse through your marriage? Therefore, don't seek a divorce. Don't try to change your situation because in your situation, even though you feel like there's no hope, even though it seems pragmatically very unwise, one of the promises, one of the blessings that we have from the gospel is God can use your really complex, ugly, hairy, sticky situation and somehow use it for your good. And this is a promise that is most succinctly stated. And again, I know not everybody grew up in the church, but there is another verse in the Bible, if you want to take notes and read it for yourself, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And that verse basically says, for those who love God, for those who are called by God, one of the blessings for such people is that all things are worked for your good. That's an incredible promise for all of us. If we submit to the gospel, there is an everyday implication, everyday blessing that whatever chaos you're experiencing, God is using that for your good. And that's why Paul says, remain as you are. Yes, it's sticky. Yes, it's hairy. Uh, I won't go into it too much because I shared about it a few times earlier. But man, like even in my own household, growing up was not the easiest situation because I lived this. My mom was a believer and my dad was an unbeliever. And yeah, my dad consented to live with my mom because, you know, it's very chauvinistic, but somebody had to cook, somebody had to clean, and it was just not a healthy situation. And my dad really was upset, vehemently, 
that she would go to church, that she would tie, that she would take the kids to church, all these different things. And we lived through a lot of, a lot of drama. I won't rehearse it because I shared it earlier, but even through that, one of the amazing things that came out of that, and yes, there were people telling my mom to divorce. Even, I don't know if I said that, but even my siblings were saying, mommy, like, let's not live like this any longer. My mom stuck with it. And I'm not saying that everything is perfectly ideal, but to this day, my dad, his heart has been softened incredibly. Uh, even next week as, we're being, uh, as I'm being ordained, man, like my parents, they want to come so badly because for my dad, even though at one point he was so hostile to the church, through the love, through the persevering love of my mom, through the prayers of kids, all these different things, my dad, his heart has been softened. And you might meet my, my older sister next week. I, I love her story. Man, I look up to her like crazy. Not only do I think she is the most talented of the four of us, you know, I'm a family of four, but she is by far the most resilient. And a lot of the childhood drama that we experienced, she experienced the brunt of it, but really what that enabled her, that enabled her to be so strong, so resilient in her faith and her identity in Christ. And that's why Paul says, yes, your situation may be sticky, your situation may be less than ideal, but one of the promises, one of the blessings that we have is in your difficult situation, God can still work wonders. Uh, I know some of us, not everybody has the same dramatic story of a, fam of a broken family. So I'll offer another example that will maybe be a little bit more relevant. I remember coming out of university, um, the job market was just abysmal. Uh, I was in IT, software development, and at that time, not to date myself, but offshoring your software development needs was the thing. So offshoring, if you're not, if you're not familiar, is you take um, an assignment that needs to be coded, pr software programmed, and instead of hiring somebody in-house, you ship that assignment to offshore, to I don't know, India was probably the most uh, popular country for us. So we'll, sh we'll ship it to offshore. We'll have them kind of program everything. And it was a lot cheaper. So because of that, the job market was really difficult because there was really no place for somebody like me. Um, and my first job actually was, um, I was a technical support representative. <laughs> uh, man, it's, that's a tough job. And that was definitely not the job that I was looking for coming out of university. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, in my field, in IT and software development, it's very common for you to switch jobs every six months, every 12 months. I mean, that's just part of the game. Um, I don't know if that's the case anymore, but at least when I was working. And one of the things that I felt tempted to do after a few months is look for another job. And, um, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with updating your resume, putting yourself out there. But something about my heart, and it's not like I was reading this verse, but something in my heart, I felt like God was saying, no, 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 now is not the time. Because God, even though my situation is less than ideal, even though I don't really like my job, God might actually do something in my job. Who knows? So I stuck around for uh, at least an, a year and a half, which again, at that point, that was pretty long. And right before I left, there was a new hire that came. He was part of the marketing team. His name is Rob. And we became friends. We have the same music interests. Um, he's, he's, he's not hardcore atheist, but he is atheist. And he would love to talk about religion. 
And our conversations, it was never hostile. We hit it off really well. And to this day, uh, this was what, like 15 years ago, he still messages me. Um, he's not a Christian. He messages me asking, hey, I have a theological question. He talks about religion. We talk about sports, music, all these different things. But had I left that job when I wanted to, out of my own impulse, I would have never had this type of conversation, this type of relationship with him. And again, he's, he hasn't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, so I don't know how things are going to go. But that's just one small example that you don't know in your less than ideal situation. One of the promises that we have is that God works everything for our good and his good. And that's why Paul is saying, yes, I know it's hairy, but stick with it because this is one of the blessings that we have from the gospel. Paul moves on to the second situation. Um, and just quickly, that's why he says in verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. He repeats this two or three times. So it's going to get repetitive. Um, but these are not my words. These are Paul's words. He's saying, let each person lead the life, whatever life, Whatever situation God has placed you, has assigned you, live that out. Because again, point number one is one of the blessings is God can use that. Point number two is a little different. Uh, so let's continue on. So let each person lead the life and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? And some of us are wondering, circumcised? What's he talking about circumcision? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. So again, I know some of us, we didn't grow up in the church, or some of us who did grow up in the church, you're wondering, why is he talking about circumcision? Uh, circumcision nowadays is more of a hygienic thing. But back in Paul's day, man, circumcision was super important. For the Jews, that was the mark of a true Jew. Uh, after a baby was born, after eight days, that baby would be circumcised. And it's not just among Jews, but even Muslims as well. They, they practice circumcision. Um, and man, circumcision was not only a religious thing, but it became kind of political. Uh, it was a very controversial thing. There, is, there are stories where, um, man, I won't date my, uh, I won't provide the, like, the first century before the common era were the Jews, they would force Gentiles who aren't practicing circumcision, they would force them to circumcise because they were so passionate about circumcision. Now, could you imagine? It's one thing to circumcise a little infant. And in case you don't know what circumcision is, it's like cutting off the foreskin of, you know, the male penis. It's one thing to circumcise an infant or an eight-day-old whatever. But for you to force circumcision Adults, man, that is extremely painful. Historically, there are stories in the first century of the common era because pagans were persecuting Jews. They would force uncircumcision. I can't even imagine what that is. But all this to say is circumcision was a big deal. And what Paul is saying is I know for some of you guys back in his day, circumcision was so important. He said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or if you're not circumcised. And he continues. He says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. And then he switches the, the topic. He says, each one should remain in the condition in which he has called. Again, he's repeating this over and over again. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. 
but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. What Paul is saying is whether you're circumcised or not, it doesn't matter. Whether you're a bond servant or not, it doesn't matter. Now, bond servant is a very friendly translation. Probably the better translation is if you are a slave. If you're a slave, it doesn't matter. Don't seek after your freedom. Don't be jealous of people's freedom. It doesn't matter. Remain as you are. Stay circumcised if you're circumcised. Stay uncircumcised if you're uncircumcised. If you're a slave, stay as, as a slave. Do you know why? And this, this is the second principle, second blessing of the gospel. He says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, even though you are called to Jesus as a slave, do you know what the spiritual reality is? You are actually a free person of the Lord. Conversely, if you were free when you were called, you know what you really are spiritually? You are a slave of Christ. And the second blessing of the gospel that really enables us to remain as we are is we now have a new identity in Christ. No longer are, is our social worth, is our self-esteem, no longer is it determined or dictated based on societal standards. It's not based on how many degrees you've accumulated. It doesn't, it's not based upon whether you're at the executive level at your corporation that's just blossoming. None of those things matter because Paul is saying, if you think you're free, in Christ, you're actually a slave. If you think you're a slave, in Christ, you're actually free. If you think you're a wealthy, successful business person, in Christ, you are a beggar. If you are literally a beggar, homeless person, in Christ, you are so filthy rich because God's grace has lavished, has been lavished upon you. What Paul is saying is no longer, if we submit to the gospel, one of the blessings is no longer are we enslaved to this rat race of life. At the end of the day, we are who God says we are. We are his children. And that's why he says, you're bought with a price. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. We just sang about that over the last few songs. Do not become bond servants of humanity. Don't become slaves to humans because you now have a new identity. This sounds so great on paper, but I'll be honest, man, it is difficult to live this thing out. Um, so as some of you guys know, um, I'm also a PhD student and I do care about my CV, those type of things. And one of the things that I've been eyeing, I'll be honest, and again, I'll use myself as a negative example, is uh, the scholarship. It's, it's a pretty, one of the most renowned scholarships there, um, not only financially speaking, but just name and reputation. And this year was my last year to apply. And I was thinking, man, I'm going to get this thing. Because last year, I made it to the final round. There are multiple rounds. I made it to the final round. Um, and that was my first time applying. So I'm thinking, man, second time around, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in the bag. And since last year, um, I, I, I got two new publications that are top-notch that most people, most other applicants, if any, would have something like that. So I, I was feeling a little confident. 
Uh, I went through the whole ordeal of sending my official transcripts. I had to get expedited because of shipping delays from the U.S. to Canada. So I'm paying a lot of money, getting it all shipped, uh, making sure my professors are writing letters. And then last week, man, I found out that I didn't even make it out of the first round. I'm like, what just happened? I got rejected. It's over. So I don't get another chance. Uh, I really thought I could secure this. Um, because it opens up so many opportunities in the future. And I'll be honest, man, that stung. And I share this because I'm sure for some of us, there are moments where life, it stings. Whether you didn't get that job, whether there's a breakup, or whether you didn't do too well in that academic program, whatever, whatever your situation is. And man, like, I'll be honest, there is a tendency for me to really allow this thing to eat me up. But a verse like this, Paul is saying, whether you're a slave or free, whether you're, you've won that scholarship or not, does it make a difference? Because at the end of the day, we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a new identity. At the end of the day, when we sleep, yes, there may be regrets, but the last memory, the last thing that we should be thinking about is, God, thank you. I don't, today was a horrible day. And tomorrow is probably going to be worse. But I have been bought by your blood. I'm your child. This world, this society, they may look at me as a fool. But I know in your eyes, in the eyes of the ultimate judge, I'm your child. And that is such a tremendous peace that this world cannot take away. And that's why Paul is saying, in your situation, again, you may feel like societally you're not measuring up. In your situation, you may feel like you're behind from everybody else. But Paul's saying, in the midst of that, be reminded of this wonderful blessing that we have from God. That we have been purchased, that we have a new identity. That he sees us as if he sees Jesus Christ. So that's why he keeps saying, remain as you are. Again, I'm highlighting this again. These are not my words. Paul's saying, in whatever condition each has, was recalled, there let him remain with God. Because it doesn't matter. That situation doesn't define who you are. The last point is he starts talking about now concerning the betrothed. Um, how many of us know what betrothed means? Okay, so people who are like engaged. The, the, the actual translation is virgins. People who are female virgins who have never had any sexual activity with anybody. And that's really a common way 2,000 years ago for people to talk about uh, eligible, women who are eligible for marriage. So he's saying, now concerning the single ladies, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Essentially he's saying, I know some of you guys, you want to tie the knot. You want to find that special someone. But he's saying, according to the present distress, I think it's better for you to actually remain single. And he does make it clear, this is not a command from the Lord. This is more of his judgment. And we can talk about that in Q&A if you want a more clarity on that. He says, are you bound to a wife? And now he's being playful when he uses the word bound. Um, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. He's basically playing off the metaphor of, of a slave and somebody who is free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. 
Remain as you are is, is essentially what he is saying. It is good for a person to remain as he is. Why is that? If you do marry, however, if you do go on and marry, you have not sinned. Uh, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. All the husbands are like, hey, preach your brother. Okay. Um, don't laugh too hard. Well, all the ladies laugh. Okay, the brothers, you shouldn't laugh at that. So, but what is he talking about? What kind of worldly troubles? What kind of distress? Is he, is he talking about the distress of Valentine's Day or whatever? No, no. He says clearly, verse 29, this is what I mean in case you don't understand. Brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. Now Paul is talking a little ominously. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Again, husbands, don't take this literally. Take this within context. Still show up for dinner, that kind of stuff. But he's basically saying that the third reason why he wants people to remain as they are, whether single or married, is because the present world, this present situation is dire. Uh, let, me, actually, let me just read this for us. And those who mourn, you should live as if you are not mourning. Don't be affected by your circumstances. As those who rejoice, live as though you're not rejoicing. As those who buy, live as though you have no goods. A lot of us, we have a lot of goods. I know a lot of us, we're very accomplished. He's saying live as though you have no goods. Those who deal with the world, those who are in the corporate world, whatever, being successful, live as though you have no dealings with it. Why? Because for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. Paul is not just some single guy who's bitter because he's not married, so he's telling people don't get. No, there is a feel, a spiritual reality. One of the implications of the gospel, the last one, is all of this is going to come to an end. So unexpectedly that Jesus Christ himself, that we, we testify as God, he doesn't even know the hour of when all of this will be done. There will be a day when Jesus returns. We don't know when it is. And every time the Bible describes Jesus' return, it's always like a thief in the night. It's always out of surprise. It's always unexpected. I mean, it could be right now. It could be tomorrow. Who knows? And what Paul is saying, this was written 2,000 years ago, and already he had that urgency. Live as though Jesus is going to come back. Because he is. And when Jesus comes back, the image that we have is he's going to come back so glorious. He's not going to come back like a little infant. Like the cute little manger story, his first. But the sequel is he's going to come back, man, eyes blazing with fire. He's going to be dressed white, pure as gold. When he speaks, it's going to be the sound of roars of water. There's going to be a sword coming out of his lips. He's going to be riding on this glorious, majestic white horse. Some of us are thinking Lord of the Rings. Something like that, maybe. But something beyond anything that we can imagine. And when we see him face to face, we're not going to be so concerned with, man, I should have gotten a new job. Man, I should have done this. Man, I should have taken capitalize on that opportunity. No, Paul is saying, do you recognize there is a sense of urgency. When Jesus comes, he's going to come back to judge. All of the people that you rub shoulders with, 
if they don't know about Jesus, if they don't know about the gospel, this thing is serious business. And the last third blessing for me to spell it out, and it may not seem like a blessing, is if you submit to the gospel of Jesus, it means that you have a new mission in life. You have a new mission. No longer are you living for yourself, but you're living for a mission that has eternal consequences. You know, it's so funny, in today's day and age, we have the social justice warriors. We have so many people, philanthropists, people who want to do a good cause. I applaud them for that, for sure. But all the things that they are striving after, they don't have eternal consequences. They're just temporal. And yes, you can make a great difference in the life of somebody. Again, I applaud that, and I think we should be involved in that. But that difference, that benefit is only temporal. Our mission that God has given us has eternal implications. The things that we do on earth will be echoed into eternity. There's not a Bible verse for that. I think that's the gladiator. But there's truth to that. The things that we do today, sharing the gospel, praying for people, praying for the international day of prayer, for the persecuted, those things have eternal implications. And one of the reasons why I think a lot of us, we feel a little antsy in the calling that we have received is because we feel like, man, this, I don't feel significant. I feel like I'm just wasting my life. I feel like I'm not doing anything with my life. But what Paul is saying is, remain as you are. Because in whatever calling that God has given you, you can still take part in this mission of eternal consequences. That this world is passing away. Jesus will one day come. And the people that you rub shoulders with, those are opportunities for you to share the gospel to them. I know whenever a sermon talks about the need to share the gospel, everybody, everybody hangs their head in shame. Because I know, man, we feel like cowards. We feel afraid. We feel like in our work, it's not conducive. I'm going to get fired. It explicitly says in the handbook, no political religious talk. I, I know, it's tough. But I will say this. Here at our uptown community, I sense, although this is really difficult to live out, I do sense that God is doing something powerful, especially in this regard. Like I mentioned earlier, over the past few weeks, we have people coming to this service. They've never stepped foot in any church service ever before. And they come here. And they at least hear the gospel. That is, how do they come? It's because you invited them. These things can make such a big difference. In our impact groups, man, it's incredible. As uh, you know, some of the leadership team, we've been discerning, praying through how to create and form these impact groups. So if you don't like your group, then I guess it's our fault. You can blame us. But as much as possible, we try to pray and discern. Uh, we pray for all the members regularly. Uh, we meet once a month with the impact group leaders. We call them disciples, and we pray together. And as I've been praying, one of the things that I've noticed is, man, a good chunk of our impact group membership are people who are new to Uptown. I mean, like at least 33%. People who have just started coming out to Uptown over the past few months. 
And when I pray for some of these individuals, I know for some of us, yeah, maybe we're still trying to test out who this Jesus is. You're still seeking. And again, we don't want to rush people into making any kind of decision. We want to be here, be gentle. But as I'm looking at some of these names and I'm praying for, for these names, I'm just so blessed because I look at this as such a watershed significant moment in many people's lives. Um, I think for some of us, this is the first time you've done something like this. For some of us, it's the first time you've been coming to church consistently. And to me, what I look at this, the bigger picture is God is using Uptown for us to make an eternal difference in this small way. There are other ways as we get more involved with Jamie and what's happening in North Korea, as we pray, continue to pray for Brian and Christina and the even this past October was a month of prayer for the Shui people. Uh, as we have an India short-term missions team with Terry, Simeon, Wynn, and Esther. Four. Okay, just making sure I don't leave anybody out. We want to pray for them as well as they're going to be leaving in December. As we also, uh, as a leadership um, with the deacons and elders, we talk all the time. How can we be more of a witness to this North York area? One of the things that we did this past year, which was kind of experimental, but I really sense God using, was the Easter outreach. And we want to build on that. Where we did an outreach, we designated three different locations. We had flyers, we passed out goodies, freebies, all these different things to try to strike up conversations, asking people, what are your thoughts on Christianity? What are your thoughts on religion? And a good number of them actually came to our worship service. It was incredible. I think at least 20 of them came. And they were able to hear the gospel. And again, these are baby steps. But we're building on top of this. Uh, even in September, we had that barbecue picnic gathering. We, I mean, I guess it was a Sunday worship service, but I want to call them gatherings because I want to be able to be more present in our community. Uh, as we think about Christmas and all these different things, there are so many opportunities for us to really be more present and to stop, stop thinking about being so preoccupied with whatever. And start thinking, you know, this world is passing away. How are we spending our time in sharing the gospel with others? So with that, um, we're going to spend some time praying. Like I mentioned, I wanted to keep this a little bit on the shorter side, especially for the International Day of Prayer and the video that we saw. So I'm going to ask the band to come forward. And uh, let's all rise as well. And uh, before we pray for anything else, uh, I just really want... Because again, I know there are people who may not have grown up in the church. All this stuff may be new. Gospel, Jesus, all this may just sound a little cult-like or whatever. It may sound bizarre. But really, the summary here, the TLDR, TLDL, whatever, is the gospel. What Jesus has done 2,000 years ago, dying on that cross, it has so many implications to our lives. It's not just something where we can get to heaven, but in our current situation, if you feel discontent, if you feel like your life is not going according to your expectations, there is hope. Because of the gospel, we are promised that in your less than ideal situation, God will work for your good. In your less than ideal situation where you feel like you are so behind based on societal standards, the gospel says no. At the end of the day, you are the child of the king of kings. Who cares what that executive says? Who cares what that professor says? The king of kings loves you so much.
you have been purchased by him. And thirdly, you may feel like you're living an insignificant life or whatever, but guess what? One of the blessings of the gospel is you get to take part in this mission. The mission of all missions. Where what you do here actually makes a difference into eternity. So I just want to give us an opportunity to uh, really respond to the Holy Spirit's I don't know what your situation is like, but allow these blessings to give you a sense of peace, a sense of joy, a sense of gratitude, a sense of purpose uh, before we pray for some of these uh, corporate topics.